in Georgia, I don't know if you've ever heard of a little town called Waynesboro, be east of here, and lived in Waynesboro and Millen. Anybody ever heard of Millen? And Cartersville and Rome. Got saved in Cartersville, First Baptist Church. And then uh, my dad worked for what used to be called Southern Bell, AT&T. And then we ended up in the Atlanta area, and that's where I was most of my life. Uh, left there when I was 18, go off to college. I'm six, I'll be 69 in a couple of weeks. So I left Georgia about 51 years ago. But I am still an avid, diehard, never-ending Georgia Bulldog, okay? Uh, and I walked into Robbie's office. I felt like I died and gone to heaven. And uh, listen, I remember the Herschel Walker days, okay? We, I had to wait 41 years. How many of you know what I'm talking about? For, and then we get it twice in a row. I'm going for a third time, Amen. I'm hoping. And if you're a tech fan, God have mercy on your soul, okay? I don't know what else, I don't know what else to say. Uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Been a church planter all my life. And I'm going to talk to you in the next service, and those of you that are back tonight, about making disciple makers, planting churches, especially ends of the earth, but also here. But uh, before I do that, I want to give you a little background of the kind of work that we do. We make disciples who make disciples. So let me explain that. Uh, let's just say Pastor Robbie here is not a pastor, he's not a believer. I lead Robbie to the Lord and I disciple him. And I train Robbie to reach this gentleman right here. What's your name, sir? Troy. Troy? Okay. I train Robbie, he's not a pastor yet, to lead Troy to the Lord and disciple him. Troy, in turn, disciples, I guess this is your family here? All right. He, in turn, disciples these, leads these guys to the Lord and disciples them, and they, in turn. And when you do that in a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist context, You'll be the only Christian in your village. You can't wait to lead that guy to the Lord, okay? I mean, you're just, Lord, help me, have mercy, okay? When Troy gets saved, I don't have to tell you guys to gather together to worship. I don't even have to offer you coffee and donuts. You'll just do it. You'll want to be together. And when you come together, you'll worship the Father, you'll praise Him, you'll study the Scriptures, you'll pray. Little church begins to form is what happens. And that's what we do. We make disciples who make disciples, some of which then start churches that plant other churches. We do it primarily among what's called an unreached people group in the world. Now let me explain that. Do you remember when Jesus said, go make disciples of every nation? It's a great commission, right? When he said, go make disciples of every nation, when I grew up in Georgia as a kid, I thought he was talking about, like, go to Canada, USA, Mexico, Belize. That's not what he was saying. He was not referring to a geopolitical nation. 
he used a word, the, the Greek word is ethne. We get our English word ethnicity from that word. He wasn't saying go to, go to Germany, France, England. He was saying go to all the ethnicities in the world. There's somewhere between two or 300 nations in the world. There's over 17,000 ethnicities in the world. For example, we hear people talking about American Indians. Well, did you know there's some 400 different American Indian tribes? There's not one American Indian. There's hundreds of them. Which one are you talking about? Okay. The human race is made up of 17,000 plus people groups or ethnicities. Of those 17,000 plus people groups, about 7,500 of them, 40, 41% are classified as unreached people groups or UPGs. So if you hear me referring to UPGs today, I'm talking about unreached people groups. What is an unreached people group? An unreached people group means less than 2% of all of the people that make up that entire ethnicity, less than 2% of them would be what you and I would refer to as a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Someone that believes the Bible is the Word of God. Believes Jesus is the Son of God. Believes Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, was buried, rose again, and only through faith in the name of Jesus Christ who shed his precious blood for us can we have salvation. That's, that's what I'm referring to as a follower of Christ, a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. If it's an unreached people group, less than 2% of the people in that ethnicity will believe like you guys believe. Let me illustrate a little bit better. How many chairs are in this room? So, 257. Somebody help me. What's 2% of 257? About five? Let's just say six. Okay? So let's let, let's let this... Uh, auditorium here, this sanctuary worship center, whatever you call it, let's let it represent a people group. You'll be the Calvary people, okay? And let's just say you guys are an unreached people group, all right? Then let's let every one of these chairs represent a village in this people group. So there's 500 people that live in this village, 1,000 that live in this village, uh, 700 that live in this village, 5,000 that live in this village, 200 that live in this village, 5,000 in this village. You're the big one, 10,000 in this village, okay? So, so these, if, if, if you guys are an unreached people group, there will be a church in this village, one, two, three, four, five. What did I say, five? We'll round it up to six. Six. This is where the churches will be. You'll probably hear about Jesus from the Christians in this group, this village. You guys will probably hear about Jesus because there's some Christians in here. And Robbie, you may hear about Jesus because there's some Christians here. 
maybe, maybe sometime in your life you may hear the name. Maybe. Good chance you won't. The rest of you, you're going to be born. You're going to live your life. You're going to die. And you're going to go into eternity lost. And it's not so much that you rejected Jesus. You don't even know who he is. Because nobody has ever told you. That's the reality of three billion people on the face of the earth today. So what I'm going to be sharing with you is how do we reach people in these unreached, these unreached uh, people groups? The systems that are used, the processes, the methods are very different. Are you aware that you can't go into the middle of, I don't know, Pakistan and build a church building with a steeple? Well, you can. It just won't be there very long. Okay? It won't, it won't be around very long. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend the money to build it. Are you aware there are many parts of the world where there's just no such thing as a seminary? or a Bible college. They're just not there. Okay? And so the, the methods are, have, have got... Are you aware that much of the world, missionaries cannot go there, at least not on a missionary or religious visa. They won't let them in. If they get into the country, they got to get in some other way, and it's in some of those places, they watch you like a hawk. And so it's, it's not as easy as just sending out... All my life when I heard, thought of missions, I thought of sending out a a missionary couple from the United States and they'd move there and, and that still is happening and I thank God for, for those who are willing to sacrifice and go but there's some parts of the world where you just can't go did you know that that 41% of the world that's classified as an unreached people group gets somewhere around 5% of the missionaries and 1% of the missionary dollars it's just hard to get in there and if you're not careful, you don't stay very long. You get kicked out. And yet, uh, that part of the world is where the church is growing. And it's grown because the people, the believers in these churches, have caught the vision, and they're the ones doing the work. The pastors are simply equipping them to go do the work. I can tell you, just in our ministry last year, and I don't take any credit for this, to God be the glory. If I were God, I would not use me, okay? Uh, it's a good, by the way, it's a good thing for all of you people. I'm not God, okay? But, if, but to God be the glory, praise his holy name. Last year, just in our ministry, we saw a church started from, from midnight January 1st to midnight December 31st. Last year, 2022, we saw a new church started every 17 minutes. Okay? This year, I'm no prophet, but based on what I've observed for the last 15 years, it's going to be strong, much stronger than that. We're talking about over 30,000 churches, 32,316 to be exact. Now you say, David, how is that possible? Well, I'm going to be sharing it with you later today and tonight. 
But before I do that, I want to begin with what I think is the most important thing of all. We have a huge need. And I'm hoping to be a new partner with you guys. I want to be on your team. I want to bring my wife down here. She's a Hoosier. I want to see what real Georgians look like. Amen. So I want her to come meet you people. And, and so I want, to, I want to get to know you and I want you to get to know me. But we have a huge need. And that need is for prayer. And I want to talk to you this morning on that subject. We must pray. We must pray. Not we can pray. I know we can pray. Not we should pray. I know we should pray. We must pray. And if I'm going to be an effective missionary partner with you, i got to have your prayer. And the ministry that we're working with has got to have your prayer. So we must pray. Say those three words together with me. We must pray. All right. Before Jesus chose the 12, you may not be aware of this, before he chose the 12 apostles, he prayed. In fact, if you check out Luke 6, he prayed all night. Dalton, Robbie, there's a lesson there. Before he discipled people, he prayed over who he was going to choose. He didn't just say any stray dog that wanders in. He, pray, there were a, he had a lot of followers. He prayed and then he said, I'll take you and you and you, 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 12 of them. Before Jesus uh, chose the 12, he prayed. Before he fed the 5,000, he prayed. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed. He prayed in the upper room. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed hanging on the cross. He prayed all night. He prayed all the time. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, uh, next slide there, there. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, even now in heaven he prays. He ever lives to pray for us. He, we, we live for pleasure, money, stuff. He ever lives to pray for us. I don't know how you're going to spend your day I'll tell you how he's going to spend his day praying for you. Think about that. The Son of God, the Lord of glory, the Lord of heaven and earth, ever lives, ever lives. You know, I, you can start talking Georgia football, and I get so excited. I get so excited. You know what I think excites him? Praying for you. Think about that. That's what this verse is saying. He lives for it. The only other thing I know he's doing up there right now is making a, a house or a room in his father's house for you to come spend eternity in. We live for everything else. He lives to pray for us. And he wants us to pray too. He had one major prayer request on this earth. Matthew 9, 36-38. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion and he prayed, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers, laborers into his harvest. He didn't say, pray that I'll feel better. He didn't say, pray that I can get, get around the cross. He didn't say, pray that uh, Herod won't give me a hard time or Pilate will be nice. You know what he said? Pray that God would raise up laborers, harvesters, disciple makers. That was his prayer. You know what I've noticed, Robbie? In many, many years of pastoring, 
We have church prayer meetings. We want to pray for Aunt Betsy's uh, messed up foot. And we want to pray for this person and this person. It's rare you hear somebody say, can we pray that God will raise up disciple makers out of our church? Can we pray that God... But that's, what, that's his concern. That's, that was his prayer. I can't think of any other prayer request Jesus ever gave us. I think this is the only one. If there's another one, I don't recall it. The only prayer request he ever gave us to pray about was to pray for laborers, harvesters, uh, soul winners, witnesses, uh, disciple makers to be raised up in the church. The church has two great missionary weapons. We've always had two from the very beginning. The book of Acts is the story of the history of the early church, the first church. In Acts 1, they prayed. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for days. In Acts 2, they were filled with the Spirit and they immediately went out and they began witnessing, telling people about Jesus. You can put up that next slide there, Michelle. First in Acts 1, they prayed. And then the next slide, they spirit-filled evangelism. They prayed for days. And then they went out. <coughs> they didn't say, let's build a building. They didn't say, let's, uh, let's have a uh, sell stuff. They went out and they started talking about Jesus. And you know the story, 3,000 people got saved and baptized in the very first church's birth, the day of Pentecost. So Acts 1, they prayed. Acts 2 was spirit-filled evangelism. Acts 3 through 28, the end of the book, is a repeat of chapters 1 and 2, just in different places. They move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and they end up in chapter 28 in Rome, Italy, which at that time was the capital city of the ends of the earth. So what you've got, the pattern you've got in the book of Acts is prayer, spirit-filled evangelism. Prayer, spirit-led evangelism. Here, near, far. That's the pattern of the book of Acts. If we're going to see it happen again, we've got to do the same thing. It's prayer, spirit control, spirit-filled living, and evangelism. Prayer proceeds and fuels great missionary movements. Not just in the book of Acts, but history tells us before, there, before you see great movements, great awakenings, they're always preceded by prayer. I was up in New England a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, Rhode Island, uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and then I went over to upstate New York. I saw uh, Deal Moody's grave. Uh, New England is where your first, we've had two great awakenings in our country. Both of them started in New England. Today, Today, if New England was considered a, the six states that make up New England, I left out Maine, the six states that make up New England, if each of those states were, an, were a people group, all six of them would be classified as unreached people groups. They're all at 2% evangelical. They used to send missionaries down here. Ever heard of names like Jonathan Edwards and David Brainerd? And uh, George Whitfield. That's where those guys came from. Up there. 
But before those movements, there were these massive, massive times of prayer where God's people just got together and they began praying that God would save lost people. Their hearts were broken for the lost. It has always been that way. Uh, back in the late 1600s, 1700s, there were a group of believers in Europe called the Moravians. And the leader, it wasn't a very big church, just a few hundred people. But the leader got together, Count Zinzendorf, I think was his name. He got together and he called his church family together. He said, the whole world's lost. We need to pray that God will raise up people that will care for those that nobody else cares for. And yes, he was talking about physical needs, but specifically he was talking about their spiritual needs. He said, let's pray for people that no one else cares about. God will reach them. Twelve men and twelve women stepped forward and said, we will each pray an hour a day. Twelve men, twelve women. We have many more than that in this room. Twelve men, twelve women started at a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting. That prayer meeting was still going over one Hundred years later. For over 100 years, those people prayed, them and their children and their children. It was during that prayer meeting that a young missionary, a young Anglican missionary from the UK, got on a boat and came across the Atlantic to the, Georgia, the colony of Georgia. His name was John Wesley. He was not even a born-again believer yet. He failed miserably in his missionary efforts here in Georgia and got, finally quit and went back to England. But on the voyage between the two continents, there was an awful storm. It was a just everybody thought they were going to die. The sailors thought they were going to die. Everybody was frantic. Everybody was, was just just terrified, except down in the hull of the boat, there was a small group of Moravians. And they were praising God. The little children were lifting their hands and praising God. There was nothing but peace in that group. Everybody else is crying out, screaming in terror. They're about to go down. And the Moravians are sitting there at total peace, praising God. Wesley, this lost Anglican missionary, could not get that picture out of his mind. When he got back to the UK, he went looking for a group of Moravians. He found them. He asked them, what is the secret of your peace? They said the secret of our peace is justification by faith. We have been declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ who died, shed his blood for us and was raised again. They said, because we are right with God, we have peace with God, we have been forgiven by God, we're redeemed. If we live, we live for God. If we die, we go home to be with God and we serve Him there. But either way, either way, it's a home run for us. That's basically what they said. Wesley came under conviction, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I'm sure you've heard of the ministry of John Wesley. What you may not be aware of is this. If you look at what's called the Wesleyan family tree, all the different groups that trace their spiritual lineage back to John Wesley, some 50% of the born-again believers in the world today 
trace their lineage back to John Wesley. 50%. We're talking hundreds of millions of people. John Wesley did a good job. But I would suggest to you that the way it all started was 12 men and 12 women on their knees praying an hour every day that God would raise up somebody, John Wesley, that would care about those that nobody else cared for. Prayer has always preceded great missionary movements. Pastor Robbie, y'all can turn this city upside down, but it's not going to happen through methods. It's not going to happen by giving out coffee. It's going to happen by the people in this room on their faces crying out to God for the souls of those that live around them. Paul asked the church to pray for him. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. I want you to see this verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. I'm not even sure if I have that. Yeah, I've got it on there. For a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he makes this statement. And this, when people ask me about TTI, I usually go to this verse. I say, this describes our ministry right here. First of all, there's a great wide open door. People are coming to Christ just in droves. They're not, they're not walking into the kingdom. They're running into the kingdom. Uh, look, look at the next slide, and I want to be careful here. This is a, a, a soccer stadium over in Spain, capacity 99,354 people. The people that were saved through the ministry of TTI last year would fill up that stadium almost four times. And I think it's going to be five times this year. To, I pray. That's our hope. They are coming into the kingdom like they're coming in droves. We see entire villages come to Christ. Look at the next slide. We recently had a baptism in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is 40% Muslim. 600 people baptized. One spot, one day. The, the, uh, the numbers are, are staggering. And yet, with all the open doors... Paul, Paul said, hey, we're starting churches everywhere. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, it's just like they're just running into the kingdom. You've read the book of Acts. You know what happened. He said, but there are many adversaries, many problems. Can I share a few with you in closing? Uh, we recently had a Paul, a trainer. Uh, the Paul is the pastor who trains the Timothys, the people. We recently had one of our Pauls shot and killed in Ethiopia. We had a Timothy, a widow actually, little widow, arrested for showing the Jesus film in Asia. Jesus film is a movie about the life of Jesus. I put her in jail. Uh, about a year or two ago, the heat of COVID in one country, we had 30 of our Pauls die of COVID within just a couple of months. Those 30 Pauls were training over 600 church planters. 30 of them died just taken out overnight. 
I don't have time to talk to you about the spiritual attacks. We work in many places where demonic activity is very open, very, very, even lost people believe in demons. Okay, they know they're real. I can't even begin to tell you about the spiritual attacks. Let me show you a few pictures. Here's a next slide. Uh, go, skip that one right here. Uh, this is a country in Southeast Asia. We were getting ready to open 200 training centers. A training center is a place where the Paul trains Timothys. Each training center had about 20 Timothys. That's about 4,000. This is a Buddhist country, Buddhist country, Southeast Asia. The week of when we were opening the training centers, a coup broke out. A coup broke out. It's been two years. Next month, they're still fighting. Uh, recently, one of our leaders, one of our Pauls, said he heard a loud noise outside. He went outside, opened the door. There was a bomb that had landed. It didn't explode. It was a dud. It literally right by his door. Okay? Uh, you say, David, what can we do for these people? We can pray. Oh, we must pray. Can you say it with me? We, we must pray. This is an optional. We must pray. Look at the next slide. Recently there were... This is Pakistan. It's a flood, in case you haven't figured it out yet. We may have a few people in here from North Florida, okay? Thank you, Michelle. Let me explain what you just saw. I was watching a news report a few months ago, and they were interviewing the uh, former ambassador from Pakistan. It was one of the evening news shows. And he said, you've all, you Christians have all heard about Noah's flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. He said, what, he said, you're not hearing much about it here in the West, but it started raining in our country June 15th. He said at the end of August, it was still raining. He said in the middle of our country, there's now a lake that covers 100,000 acres that was not there prior to June 15th. That flood right there, one, we, we're training a couple of thousand church planters in Pakistan. I think about 3,000. 171 of our Timothys had their homes washed away, lost everything. The picture you're looking at there is seven of our Pauls, seven Pastor Robbies. They had their homes washed away. Now, I'm not talking about a hurricane where the water came up three feet. I'm talking about the house is gone. Everything in it. They lost everything they've got. See them there? One of those men, his three-year-old daughter was in the house. She was washed away. You say, David, what can we do for these people? Well, we must pray. Can you say it with me? We must pray. Uh, look at the next slide. <coughs> Sri Lanka. I'll be there in less than a month. I don't know if you remember a few months ago, the people stormed the presidential ground. They're swimming in the president's swimming pool. They're eating lunch at his table. Infl you know how inflation has hit us? Inflation there was 130-something percent. <clears throat> we had one of our leaders waited in a, at a gas station for 12 hours to get a half gallon of gas. 
almost worse than the 70s here, 12 hours for a half gallon of gas. You say, what can we do for our people there? Oh, we must pray. Look at the next slide, the Congo, uh, the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Some uh, next to um, Dalton, next door to Uganda, we were talking about last night. Wars, but this is one of those places where they, where they have boy soldiers. We've got stories of our people running for their lives, children carrying everything they can carry on the back of their shoulders, literally stepping over dead bodies in the streets as they're running for their lives. This is the reality. You know, for me, it's a bad day if the air conditioner breaks. These people have never had air conditioning. They've never even felt it. And by the way, most of them don't like it. They freeze. Okay? You say, David, what can we do for our brothers and sisters in the Congo? Somebody tell me, what must we do? We, we must pray. Look at the next slide. Nigeria. Have you ever heard of a group called Boko Haram? Boko Haram is a jihadist uh, military group in Nigeria that has pledged allegiance to ISIS. I heard a report a couple of years ago that for every one person ISIS had killed, Boko Haram had killed six or seven. Do you remember about, maybe about seven, eight years ago, there were several hundred Nigerian girls at a school that were kidnapped? That was Boko Haram. These people will come into a village and they'll wipe out the whole village. You, they, you don't even have to be Christians. You can be a different version of Islam. I mean, they kill everybody except some of the girls. They'll take the girls as, as sex slaves. But they kill the men, old women, they kill them. They burn everything down. Uh, we, we once had a, a village where we lost 73 people in one village from Boko Haram. You say, David, what can we do? What can we do for our brothers? And by the way, we're training in Nigeria right now. We're training over 10,000 church planters. 10,000. Many of them in areas where Boko Haram is strong. I was talking to one of our couples in that area recently, and I asked them, I said, have you had any trouble from Boko Haram? They said, oh, all the time. They said, we've had many of our people shot. Some have been killed by Boko Haram. I had another guy said, he has two little children, wife. He lives in North Nigeria. I said, how do you, I said, have they, have they hurt you? He said, oh, yeah, all the time. He said, my house and my car are riddled with bullets. I said, how do you, how do you survive? He said, we run very fast. That was his answer. We run. He's got two little kids. One of our Pauls. You say, David, what can we do? i tell you what we must do. We must pray. Uh, Vietnam. Next slide. Uh, this is one of our Pauls out on the road in an accident. We actually have more people killed traveling than we do from any other way. The roads are awful. The vehicles are awful. Uh, just traveling grace is what we need. I was recently, by the way, in Indonesia with five of our Vietnamese leaders we brought over. I asked them, how many of you guys have been to jail for preaching the gospel? All five of them raised their hand. One of the older brothers had been put in jail over 20 times for preaching the gospel. 
Look at the next slide. Uh, we blurred out their faces. We recently had a, 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 lady, a lady, one of our students in Egypt, I'm talking about in the last two months, was beaten to death by her husband because she wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. I think my time's up. If you go back to that verse where Paul said there's a wide open door, many adversaries. I was studying that passage, Robbie, and I just assumed that was verse 9. I just assumed verse 10, Paul would say, would you please pray for us? But he didn't. And I read verse 11, verse 12, although I think it's 24 verses in that chapter. He never said a word about prayer. He said, we got all kinds of enemies, all kinds of problems. I would have assumed he would have said, will you pray for us? But he didn't. And I asked myself, why wouldn't Paul ask that church to pray for him? I can't prove what I'm getting ready to say. But I think he just assumed that they would. Why wouldn't they? I think Paul just assumed, I don't need to tell these people to pray. They will. Ladies and gentlemen, we must pray. We must pray for one another. We must pray for our nation. You must pray, we must pray for our church and our pastors and our leaders. Please pray for us. I've got a card here. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm just going to lay them up here. When the class is over, I'm going to ask you to come pick up a card and you... You tear it. You keep the big part. That'll take you to the web page if you want any info. You fill out the little side, the part with the name of the lines on it. Just lay it up there somewhere. I'll pick them up before church. And those of you who fill out one of these cards, I'm going to send you emails once a month with updates, reports, and prayer requests. The kind of stories I've been sharing with you, we're training this year over 500,000 people amongst unreached people groups. These kind of stories come in every day. And what I do is I tell our people in the field, I'm going to find American Christians that will pray for you. I just ask that you take a card, fill it out, leave it. When the email comes, take a few minutes and pray, and then delete the email. Don't ever post it online. Just pray and delete, pray and delete. That's all I ask you to do. If we're going to forge a partnership that's going to be biblical, that's going to be book of Acts, that's going to be strong and sustainable, it must be preceded by prayer. Pray for your country. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for one another. Pray for us. Pray for your children. Making disciple makers begins at home. If you don't disciple your children, nobody else is going to. You say, that's Calvary's job. No, it isn't. And by the way, who is Calvary anyway? Calvary's not this building. Calvary's you. Your pastor's job is not to disciple your children. It's to equip you to disciple your children and to disciple others. Disciple making begins at home. Okay? You say, my kids are grown. You got grandkids. You got great grandkids. Pray for you. Every day I pray for the salvation of my grandkids and that they will not only know Jesus but love him and worship him and tell others about him. We must pray. We 
must pray. Say it with me. We must pray. And finally, yes, we must also give. We got tens of thousands of Timothys ready to go. And you guys can change the world. So we must pray. We must give too. I close with this statement. Uh, If you were to walk up to me after church and say, David, which would you rather have? $10,000 to plant churches or for me to join your prayer team? I would say, can I please have both? <laughs> okay? That's what I would say. But if you said, no, Nelms, you're being greedy, pick. Can only have one. I'd say, give me your prayer. That's what I would choose. <clears throat> if you doubt it, try me after the service. I'm going to put them up here. Um, Robbie, your sweet daughter, brought me some pens. I like your pens, by the way. They're very nice. So I'm going to put them there. Fill out the little side. Leave it there. I'll pick it up. And thank you so much for your willingness to pray. Say it with me one more time. We must pray. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Brother David. He shared a verse with us. Many of you may not know this, but 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, verse number 9, was the very verse that God used to bring me to this church. And uh, God opened that effectual door, and I remember there was a lot of things that was going on. And uh, I was in study, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, a door uh, that doesn't have an adversary is the adversary's door. I'll never forget that. A, a, a door without an adversary is the adversary's door. And uh, what he's asking us to do and what I'm wanting us to do, partnering with them, is going to bring adversaries. And uh, I just want to take a second, but it's going to bring adversaries. He talked about floods. He talked about the things that were going on over there. But we have adversaries in our own life. Uh, our adversary is the way we perceive church. We come into church and we've got to be entertained. It's got to be comfortable. It's got to, everything has to be our way. And if it ain't our way, we'll go find a church that is our way. And it become an adversary to getting the gospel out. We come in here and we've sat here. We've come in here and we come to church over and over and over again. Years and years we've sit sitting on a pew having never made a disciple. Having never made a disciple. Some of us have never even led somebody to the Lord, much less making a disciple, somebody that will reproduce that and go out and make another disciple. So this is very dear to me and my heart. I want you to be here. I want you to be here. Uh, don't leave. Uh, come back tonight. And, uh, man, let's get a hold of this because this is what he's talking about. This is how it's supposed to be done. And this is changing the world. We don't see it here because we've Americanized everything because we like to be entertained and we like our comfort. But what they're doing, man, I sat there in that conference and listened to them stories and what, man, I'm telling you, this is true biblical discipleship and evangelism. And uh, I want us to be a part of that and uh, in our prayers and also in helping them with our finances. Amen. John, Joe, Brother David this morning. Amen. All right. Lord.